Madame et Monsieur, écoutez bien. Welcome to Fashion Mode with Charles McDonald, brought to you in association with Force Magazine on World Radio Paris. Bonjour and welcome to Fashion Mode. This is a primetime fashion show for World Radio Paris, brought to you in association with Force Magazine. I'm Charles Daniel MacDonald and I'll be hosting the show as always, exclusively for World Radio Paris. The month of January and February saw the reignition of the ready-to-wear female fashion calendar for the start of this year. All the international fashion houses collectively presented their offerings for these autumn-winter 2020 collections across the four corners of the globe. In the show, I'm going to take a detailed look and in-depth critique at the international fashion offerings from New York, London and Milan. New York Fashion Week Autumn-Winter 2020 Review In a season that saw every celebrity leave New York for the Academy Awards in Los Angeles, followed by a mass exodus of key designers from the schedule, the last thing you want to do is add grief to the state of America's foremost fashion week. The shows in this city are surrounded by fading memories of glitz and glamour, of the way things were, and maybe could be again. We were hopeful last season when Tom Ford was made chairman of the CFDA, and successfully restructured and revitalised the show schedule. But after the Oscars, a goal for a designer like Ford were moved forward to coincide with the shows, seeing him relocate his very own to Los Angeles. This caused a domino effect in New York, with Jeremy Scott postponing his own show to the Haute Couture Week in Paris in July. Ralph Lauren never announced one, and Tommy Hilfiger had already decided to show in London. Meanwhile, Tefler, one of the city's most coveted young designers, had already presented in Florence the previous month, while Pyre Moss didn't show either. The situation left the city with a choppy schedule that made it hard to put a finger on what New York season was all about. Mainly, it felt that there was a real sense of nostalgia in the air, a longing for better days when the show seen here reflected the glamour of New York society and the best sides of American celebrity culture. Mark Jacobs looked to the style legends of the Upper East Side in the 1960s in a dramatic show, which was choreographed by Carol Armitage, and reminded us of how great New York Fashion Week could be in an ideal world. At Coach, Stuart Vevers paid homage to the art scene of the Lower East Side in the early 80s, with a collaboration with the estate of Jean-Michel Basquet and a performance by New York starling Debbie Harry. Both shows painted great memories of the city's influence on fashion, but also served as a candid reminder of a fashion week that has seen better days. Over at Oscar de la Renta, Laura Kim and Fernando Garcia were likewise seduced by memories of an old New York. Their mood board was filled with pictures from Truman Capote's black and white ball, with which de la Renta himself attended. But it was the addition of the designer's duo his own millennial points of departure that indeed made the show. After we finished the collection, 
we realised we were taking ourselves too seriously with the theme. We're quite headed, light-headed, and we're losers, Garcia quipped, noting how he and Kim, both big cartoon fans, had added the influence of Fantasia to their collection, only because they felt like the Sorcerer's Apprentices. We reminded ourselves that we are Mickey, we only know about all this from books and stories, and what Oscar told us. This is who we are, he said. It's made for an exuberant, fresh and clarified collection, which demonstrated that memories of New York's glamour years can easily be found, and must, must be fused with a more contemporary and forward-looking approach. Feveris echoed the fact I've spoken to people who were living and working in that time, he said referring to his reference. They really fed off each other as a group, and it created this burst of creativity. It was post-Studio 54. After the glamour, it was about authenticity and rawness, which translates to today, what the next generation is looking for. Vevers was using New York's multi-hyphen art scene in the late 70s and early 80s to draw a parallel to his present-day influence. It was a time when people were musicians, artists and poets, he said. Exercising that hyphen, and today I look at someone like Megan Three Stallion, who's a performer but who also studies social housing. To me, that contrast is fascinating. With the influence American culture has on youth around the world, this is exactly what New York Fashion Week should be reflecting upon. Of course, the young designers were still present, from Kate and Echo Slatter to Dion Lee and Lacking Smith. Big brands including Michael Kors, The Row, Tory Birch, Longchamp and Provenza Schauler drew big-time attendances, and Rodarte staged a beautiful and highly theatrical show in St. Bartholomew's Church, which illustrated how fabulous New York Fashion Week could be if more designers followed suit. But for this Fashion Week to truly reform an identity, whether it's founded in something old or carving out a new character, American super brands, mid-tier brands and emerging designers need to come together and unify to find a holistic solution. Many talked about moving the shows to Los Angeles, which would make sense for the February presentations if the Academy Awards holds on to its current dates. For the September shows, perhaps less so. Either way, there's a willingness in the industry for New York Fashion Week to be great. A support system that just needs a lot more encouragement. London Fashion Week, Autumn Winter 2020 Review Outside the runways of London Fashion Week, Storm Dennis was howling and hitting you in the face in transit from one show to another on the city's phenomenally packed schedule. If the wind felt overwhelming, it was only an expression of the creative energy 
being generated in a British fashion capital that could have seen tumbleweed following Brexit. But it's managing to rise above it all. So popular is a London schedule that it's virtually impossible to summarise the multifaceted directions the city's fashion scene now represents. But stay with me, I'll give it a go. From the often homespun London couture gestures and giant volumes of Richard Malone, Matty Bovan, Simon Rocha, Molly Goddard and Halpern, to the ladylike ballroom dressing of Rockstanda, Emily Wickstead and Erdem, British grandeur is alive and kicking across the tiers of the designer establishment. On the other hand, London now rifles Paris and Milan in the sophisticated, intelligent and sensual daywear category also. Victoria Beckham, J.W. Anderson, Regina Pio and Burberry proved that in fact, along with newer designers such as Peter Petrov, Charlotte Knowles and Nenesi Jokaka, who made her debut at Fashion East. What so many of them shared as a motivation for progressiveness advocated so strongly in this day by the younger generations. In London, youth has always found a platform that takes it seriously, from our runway shows in the colleges that keep us alive and this year's Central St Martin's MA show, which didn't disappoint. Bright young things from Paulina Russo to Cameron Williams Ella Boucher and Sadie McCormack flew the flags for the issues closest to their hearts. Sexuality, exploitation and authenticity, to name a few. Reminding us that nearly everything in this industry, bar a few ageless geniuses, starts with young people and fresh ideas. The creativity levels in London will always fluctuate, but around the fashion houses of Milan and Paris, there are more graduates hailing from the city's colleges working behind the scenes than anywhere else. Of all people, the American designer and magnate Tommy Hilfiger, whose travelling Tommy Now Circus came to town this season with a collection devoted to London, the London he loves, pointed out, We have a lot of Brits working for us. Doing what we are doing suits London very well in general. Hilfiger was, of course, referring to the progressive spirit that penetrates London's entire fashion scene. This season's sustainability was also, again, at the forefront of designers' minds. From Tommy, whose ongoing Lewis Hamilton collaboration is now 75% sustainable, across the board to Richard Malone, who won the International Walmart Prize on Monday evening and whose made-to-order business is sustainable to the very core with all the facts and figures to back it up for industry watchdogs. At Burberry, Ricardo Tisci presented a carbon-neutral show and talked about the steps he's taking within Burberry. It's something I don't even need to think about anymore because you're constantly reminded of it and you're constantly aware of it, he said. Reflecting on the advancements that still need to be made, Tisci noted that technically things aren't 100% yet developed. For instance, no one has the right good quality nylon yet. As for fur, I've used it my whole career, but I don't miss it. Today was all ecological and it looked real, he said, referring to the sustainable faux fur he used in his Burberry show, which was the best to date. Simone Rocha based her collection around the Aran Islands, 
essentially devoting her show to the world's most recognised, locally sourced artisanal product. And Michael Halpern partly used recycled sequins in the embroidery of his signature Spakwa denim. Between all the gestures of grandeur and couture aspirations that fill half of the London fashion scene, the idiosyncratic and often modernist daywear wardrobe that it contrasts, this isn't a fashion scene to be made for market segmentation by any means. It's a dynamic reality that could easily turn the London show into a hot mess. But instead, it highlights the city as the industry's beacon of self-expression and optimism, which in authenticity is the prime currency. Whether we're hit by Storm Dennis or Hurricane Brexit, it's a hankering for creation that prevails in London even to this day. Milan Fashion Week Autumn Winter 2020 Review Over halfway through a show season that's gone ahead, despite the absence of many colleagues from the Chinese and Japanese markets, the coronavirus reached Milan on the last day of Fashion Week. As Giorgio Armani cancelled his show and Michael Kors his main party on Saturday within the Italian capital. Yuchia Prada also went ahead with a big announcement. In a small press conference, she and Ralph Simmons announced their indefinite co-creative directorship of her fashion house, to be unveiled in September. A lot of creatives in different kinds of positions at brands feel troubled. They feel that the fashion industry is becoming an industry that excludes creatives, Simon said. Yuchia and myself believe that the collaboration between creatives could reposition the aspect of the whole fashion business. At the beginning of the week, another designer had weighed in on an industry tapped in the hamster wheel of business. Last season, it was about my love of fashion. This time, I asked myself, why am I repeating this ritual time and time over again? I'm exhausted after a fashion show. It's really tiring. Alessandro Michel said after a Gucci show that saw the backstage brought onto the runway, spinning around on a large carousel for all the world to see. Being in the fashion world is like being an isolated nun. We travel around the world, always saying, one day we'll give up and do something else. But that day never really comes, for the main reason that fashion is a very powerful industry. Fueled by Mikhail's earnest comments, the Gucci show got creativity levels in Milan off to an intense start that could only have delighted Simon's desire for creative amplification. On the first anniversary of Karl Lagerfeld's death, Sylvia Venturini Fendi is acclimatising to going out alone at the LVMH-owned house bearing her name. I was asking myself, now that I'm in charge of this collection, who is the woman that I want to dress? Well, she is independent, she is free, and she's most certainly strong. 
In a moment where we talk more about feminism than femininity, it made me want to analyse the concept of the feminine wardrobe across the decades. My wish for the new generations is to be perceived as strong while keeping inherently the codes of femininity. Then Turini turned to the cliches of the feminine stereotypes, the colour pink, lingerie elements and delicate lace, along with the cliches of female power dressing, from sharp tailoring to the idea of the dominatrix. It's more than a little perverse, she smiled mischievously. Her Fendi collection hit Milan like a revelation, demonstrating in women's wear what we already knew from Venturini's men's collections. Her ability to encapsulate the zeitgeist as a social commentator and her knack for a super strong show. Mucia Prada joined in in the same dialogue. I want to define femininity not through frivolity, but through what is considered delicate feminine. The discussion of having to give up femininity in order to be a strong woman has always concerned me, she said. Evaluating a Prada collection that's dressed up Farron's current affinity for masculine tailoring in beaded fringing, language shift in dresses, ruffled bibs and power sequins. To underline that point, Prada puffed up the gentleman's blazer, coloured it and clinched it in to mould a super-sized sculpture of the female form. Hyper-masculine is okay for menswear, as hyper-feminine is okay for women's wear. And Donatella Versace weighed in. Her first co-ed show wasn't shot on unisex and his and hers moments, right from the looks that opened it. Two platinum blondes in Versace's women and men's versions of loosely the same black suit, hers wore sans trousers with a mini dress and with a cut-out décolletage that echoed his top. There were check coats, knitwear and sportswear from the gentleman's heritage and prepped wardrobes, which were magnificent and shrunk according to the model's physiques. What I'm trying to show with this collection is that sensuality comes from the brain, from the way one thinks, Versace argued, and clothes accentuate that. You only need to look outside of the show venues to see why the codes of feminine wardrobes were occupying the designers' minds in Milan. The most serious stars of the current street style scene were almost consistently clad in oversized suits, magnified shirts and coats from the military and heritage sectors. There was grey, beige, caramel, navy, black and white. I mean you can imagine how it could trigger Versace and Prada into their fellow female designers, so sensitive to the nerve impulses between our collection wardrobe and mentality, to change a scenario. But this just wasn't a female point of view. Daniel Lee opened his third Bottega Benetta show with a series of slenderdized and clarified black tearling looks for men and women before launching into a kind of hyper-glamour for the ladies. We were thinking about how we could make structured tailoring occupy the space between the super formal and the street and that's been so prevalent in fashion, he explained. It's about the things that allow you to feel very elegant and done up but at the same time very comfortable. Things soon took that turn for the more feminine look again. As here, Lee interpreted the fringing that ruled the runways everywhere in Milan, letting it creep up from the hemlines that looked like a DIY t-shirt fringing from the 1980s, before going on to materialise a thousandfold 
as dancing embellishments on shirts in a bag, as well as micro-shearing fringes on coats. Along with the sequence maxi dress, the Bottega Benetta Fringe Fest made for a collection that resolved and refined the sparkly glamour segments of Lee's two previous highly successful collections. He has also listened to our season's encouragement to break away from the lavish plexiglass sets and wakes for plastic inventions. Instead, he quite simply sent out email invitations and welcomed guests in an optical white space. And when the lights came on, they projected the walls of images of the Palladian Gardens. I wanted to build a set that was completely recyclable and doesn't leave any kind of physical trace, he said. And it was on point statement in Milan. A season that resounded with the industry's call for sustainability was heard once more. At Marnie, for instance, Francesco Riso patchworked his garments from scraps, hand-spun things and artistically sculptured metal pieces. Dolce & Gabbana debuted their collection to Italian craftsmanship, knitting up a storm through suiting, outerwear, skirting shoes and bags. Everything is made. We worked with artisans, unions from the north to the south of the city, Stefano Gabbana explained. Nothing that he and Domenico Dolce are making make the necessary preparations for putting their handmade pieces into production for the stores. From reflections on sustainability to the sensitivity of women's wear today, the shows in Milan dealt with the fashion industry's ever-increasing impact on our collective mentality. As showgoers rush to Paris amid increasing contravirus alerts, this fashion week really felt closer to the eye of the hurricane that shapes the news landscapes and our everyday lives. Whether or not you live them inside or outside the fashion calendar. I hope you can join us all for the next Fashion Mode show, where I'll be taking another look at the latest offerings from the International Runway Collections, this time from Paris, to see what delights the City of Light has in store for us all, from their female ready-to-wear collections for the Autumn-Winter 2020 collections. With more details and features to follow, you can catch up with all the latest fashion news on forcmagazine.com, and FORC Magazine on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Until the next time, keep your fashion mode on.